We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. I want to ask you to go ahead and stand with me to that book. And we'll have some thoughts this morning about the resurrection. I'm going to read and quote a lot of Bible verses today about the truth of the resurrection. And I hope that the reading would be a time that you would give deliberate effort to meditation and consideration of all that the Lord has done for us. So, the Lord lived well over 33 years. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He did that which we could not do. And then He willingly offered His life on the cross. And I think most of us would know that story, that the sinless Christ as a substitute for us hung on the cross. They say the Romans and the religious leaders of that day you know, hung Him there, but really it was all about God's foreordained plan for Christ to suffer there for our sins. The brutality of the cross, uh, it was something exceeding and extraordinary. But as been mentioned here several times, the sun grew dark about the 12 o'clock noon, and for three hours the wrath of God, what we might know as hell, was poured out on Christ on our behalf. This is what Christ did for us. He died, and then three days later He was resurrected. He walked on this earth for about another six weeks, showing Himself to His disciples. And there were many witnesses. We, we know the Bible tells us at least 500 people historically saw the risen Christ. And then the Lord ascended, and He now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He awaits the Father's command to come back and get us. And we live in hope of that day as well today. The Apostle Paul is rehearsing part of this story to the Corinthian church is encouraging to have this living hope. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, that is the good news that Jesus died and rose again for our sins, which I preached unto you, which also have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, that was the name for Peter, and then of the twelve, and after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present or the time that Paul was writing, but some are fallen asleep, a metaphor for those who died in Christ. And after that he was seen of James, and then all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church of God. And I love this verse, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And that would be true of all of us here today who know the Lord. By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We, we, we thank You for all that it represents. And, and today, Lord, we are choosing deliberately to focus on the truth, the reality, Lord, that You have risen. That, Lord, You died for our sins, but then, Lord, You rose again for our justification. Lord, Your resurrection, we acknowledge this, we rejoice in this, makes our future resurrection 
a possibility. And so, Lord, today we look into your word, Lord, for the truth and Lord, for a greater faith. And we ask for your help with these things in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for your willingness to stand. At the heart and the root of our Christianity lies belief, or that which we call faith. And that is a settled and trusting mental assent that changes us in a fundamental way. Our faith changes who we are. We once were citizens of darkness. Now, through our faith, we become citizens of light. We are now future residents of the eternal state called heaven. It changes how we act. We realize that we don't change our behavior to save us, but as a result of being saved, we set our heart on living for Christ. We want to honor Him. We understand that a future reward comes for those who serve Christ. It changes what we live for. This world lives for the accumulation of material things. It lives for satisfaction. It lives, it lives for its own purposes. But we as Christians, because of our faith in Christ, we live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it changes our future eternal destination. We affirm a set of truths here today as the followers of Christ that are non-negotiable because we believe that these truths are God-given and He means for us to keep them. Now, the truths that God has given us are not like the little t-truths of this postmodern world that shift and change with the winds as the sand of the sea. No, what God gives us truth remains truth forever. And we understand to reject or defy those truths has mortal consequence. For example, we believe by faith that God and or Christ is the creator of this world. Everything we know, this expansive universe of all the cosmos, all that's entailed therein was created by the breath of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God, that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that we as humans made in His image, male and female, uh, are in His likeness. In the New Testament, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says this, For by Him, speaking of God, or Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in the heaven and that are in the earth, visible, the things we see, and the invisible, the invisible, the atomic things that hold the world together, were created by Him, and the Bible says, for Him. And the Bible says that He is before all things, and I love the science here, and by Him all things consist. The science cannot offer explanation how a negative particle can be head close to a, a positive particle and not explode upon itself or outside of itself. But the Bible says that the God particle is God Himself and holds all things together. Literally the very atoms and molecules of your body are held in place by the eternal God, our Creator today. That is an amazing thought. God stands outside and apart and within His creation, having fashioned it, finishing it, and giving it governing principles. He is the source at this moment that continues to hold the both molecule and atoms together. We as Christians reject any notion that this obvious design created by God we live in is accidental, incidental, arbitrary, meaningless, uh, of chance so infinitesimal as to defy reason and be ridiculous. 
Natural laws stand in favor of a creator and of our faith, and they run contradictory to Darwinism and its faith and belief. We believe that humanity is sinful. That you and I, though we want to be more, and that we desire to be better, and that, that comes from the vestige of the image of God that's within us. And I don't think even the non-Christians of the world have a, a problem acknowledging this. You and I can be rotten sinners. We, we, we have no ability within us to live a perfect life. Matter of fact, we struggle to make it through the day without injury or harm. We understand that all of us have come short of the glory of God. This self-evident truth manifests itself in our lives on a daily basis. It creates all the anger, all the angst, all the heartbreak, all the difficulty that our world suffers. It is the reason and the source of the nightly news we watch every day. And that sin sets humanity at odds with each other, even our own homes. And it sets us apart from God. And it sets us apart from the peace within that all of us so desperately seek. We as Christians reject any teaching or philosophy that portrays man as innately good, bent towards kindness, or that we are all moral or a blank slate affected only by environmental factors. No, we know that we and all humanity lies in sin. Everyone in this room, and you are a good-looking bunch today, but nevertheless, everyone in this room has been an agency of harm or injury in someone else's life. And it would be a ubiquitous reality that all of us are victim of that in someone else's life. All of us know the ugliness, don't we, of sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. Christians acknowledge that our sin is real. It's a part of us. It holds power of death. As the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And while understanding that we have no ability or remedy to solve this problem ourselves, the Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. And that word means eternally perish, but rather through Christ have everlasting life. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we as Christians believe in the incredible act of love and grace that Christ displayed for us on the cross, that the Creator became flesh, like one of us, fully God, fully man, but He chose to die on the cross as a substitute for you and I. As the Bible says, nailing our sins to the cross. The, the ordinances, the handwriting that were against us, He took away, He received on the cross our hell. And in return today, we stand here in not a righteousness of our own, because we all know we are nothing more than saved hypocrites at best. We stand in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ today because we've accepted Him as Savior. We believe that Jesus offered Himself on behalf of us on the cross, that He bore our iniquities, He was nailed to the cross for their sake. 
He received God's wrath on our behalf. He died in our place. And we believe in His atoning work for us today. And that I stand here today, not by works of righteousness or any matter of my own, I stand here to saved because of what Jesus Christ did for me in His death, burial, and resurrection. I have been reconciled. I have been reconciled to God. The Bible says that my sin had separated from me, from the God who loved me. His love never faltered. But my lack of holiness, my sinful disposition separated me from the holy God. But the blood of Christ and His atoning work reconciled me back to God. Because now Jesus, because of Jesus is my righteousness, God sees me that way. And I can be reconciled to Him. And to our point today, and why we've, uh, what we're celebrating, what we've sung about, we believe in the resurrection. We believe Jesus, being God, overcame sin, death, and the grave. And that today, our Savior stands at the right hand of God. And we believe that He will come back to establish an earthly rule here one day for a thousand years. He'll remake this broken universe into a new one and He'll usher us into an eternal kingdom where we will be with our Savior forever and ever and ever. That begins for us when you and I acknowledge our need for Christ, our, our sinful condition and all He has done for us. As Romans 10 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him up from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. This world today innately seeks salvation in so many sources. This world is filled with religion. And our Heavenly Father is not about religion. He is about relationship. And religion seeks in false ways to reconcile themselves to God. But religion cannot do it. Church attendance, it is commendable, but it cannot save you. Being baptized in those waters is simply an ordinance, an act of obedience. It does not save. The only way a man can one day be reconciled to God and experience heaven forever is to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is it. There's one name under heaven whereby all men must be saved. And we believe that that man's been resurrected for our sakes. The resurrection is my hope. It is the center of all I believe. And its promise and miracle that Jesus died for me changes my life. And it has changed so many other lives as well. Physical death is not my end. It is my beginning into an eternal walk with Christ. In my 25 years of ministry, I have probably conducted well over 100 funerals. And I would say the vast majority of those people were Christians. I spoke at the funeral of my own mother last year. And, uh, and there's sadness and there's tears, but my family gathered together. We, we didn't weep as those who have no hope. <laughs> I see my mother's face. And Rebecca and Rachel, as they sing in the choir every Sunday. And I'm going to see her face again. Amen. See, that's our hope, that death isn't final. It's temporary. It's a transition for those who know Christ. 
This morning, I want to remind us of the importance of the resurrection and all that it accomplished for us. You see, the resurrection of Jesus affirmed with absolute certainty that everything that Jesus said was true. You want to know, you want to know truth? You, you can't go to the university and institutions of higher learning to find truth. You, you can't go to the sages and the politicians of our age to find truth. You can't go to the social systems of our, our government to find truth. You want to find truth, it's in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on black words on white paper in this book. What this Bible says, thy word, John 17, 17, is absolute, unnegotiable, dependable truth. Human history is littered with men who spoke with authority. They made bold and great claims. They talked about themselves. They talked about the world. They talked about the future. The Old Testament had tests for such men. It simply said, watch them, listen to them. If the words come to pass, then they are true. And the Bible is filled with more false prophets than true ones. But concerning Jesus... In his words, the Bible is filled with his truth. Human witnesses testify to his words and to his resurrection. There are many, there are as many people who bore witness to Christ as any other historical figure. And if you choose to believe in Plato and Socrates or, or Nero, then my friend, there are more witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection than any of those men. Those men wrote about themselves. Other men wrote about Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus said because he rose again has been proven true. They have come to pass. Jesus said in John 2, destroy this temple. And he was not speaking of the magnificent temple in Jerusalem, but rather the temple of his body. He said, you destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it again. And he did. In Matthew 12, 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then rise again. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus speaking to the disciples. From that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must <coughs> suffer, go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and then be raised again the third day. Everything that Jesus said about his death and resurrection came true. In the text we read this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says there were more than 500 historical witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is considered absolute historical fact. More testimony about that event than nearly anything else in history. The resurrection verifies his identity, his deity, his claims, his promises. And I'm here to tell you by the authority of the Word of God, what Jesus said was true. The resurrection of Jesus, and we sang about this, paved the way for my future resurrection one day. The forgiveness of sins. Avoiding the punishment of hell. Canceling the negative. You with me? Was the work of the cross. 
But the ability to stand righteous before God in His presence forever was the work of His resurrection. <laughs> if my sins were nailed to that cross, then the wages of sin no longer for me is spiritual death, but spiritual life. And because Jesus Christ was resurrected, I can be too. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting and the ordinances, all the things we've done wrong that was against us, He took out of the way, nailing it to His cross. But the gift, the hope of eternal life was provided for us in the resurrection. You see, a theological reality and truth today is that Jesus died for sins and experienced our hell, but by His sacrifice, we too can go to heaven one day. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just Christ, for the unjust, you and me. Why? That He might bring us to God. And He was put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive in the Spirit. And because He died and we died with Him, we can rise with Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and becometh the first fruit, or the first of those who've fallen asleep. Again, the metaphor is those who died. Because Christ died, and I'm in Christ, it's like being in an ark, because I'm in the ark, I'm safe, because I'm in Christ, my sins are forgiven, because I'm in Christ. When He rose spiritually, I can rise too. Romans 6, 8, But God commendeth His love towards us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it goes on to say more, much more than, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And there's more. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of His Son, much more being reconciled, shall we be saved and resurrect, resurrected by His life. Revelations 1 uh, chapter 1, verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten, those made alive from the dead, implying that there will be more raised. And of course, that would be us. The text I referenced earlier, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we can say this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. And then the dead in Christ shall rise. All the people that we've known and loved who know Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This, this fear and hurt of death it's a common human experience. When Jesus was on the earth, He loved people desperately. He had friends. There, were, there was a family that He loved, in particular, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. An illness overtook Lazarus, and the Bible says he died. Four days his body was in a tomb. When Jesus heard about it, the Bible says he wept. He's identified with all the things that humanity identifies with. As he makes his way back to this family, the sisters find Jesus, and they're weeping. And Jesus looks at them and says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth me, though he were dead, yet shall they live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me 
speaking of spiritual death and life, it says, shall never, ever die. This morning, we celebrate the past resurrection, a historical event seen by hundreds, if not thousands of people. We celebrate that resurrection. But we rejoice in the promise and the power of our own resurrection to come. For me, death holds no fear. Its power is broken. I have no dread. With Paul in Romans 6, 9, we say, now if we be dead in Christ, sins on the cross, then we believe we shall also live with Him. And finally this morning, we believe that the power of the resurrection isn't just, it doesn't just bring a future hope, but it brings a present power in my life today. I, I identify with the Apostle Paul. I am what I am by the grace of God. My genetics have determined a lot about me. <laughs> and if I could, you know, do some gene mapping, I might change some things. As you all know, I'd be six foot two and be darker complected. <laughs> I have a history, like all of you. I have a, there's a narrative of my life that's been written. I grew up in a home. I went to a school. There's, there are a lot of environmental things about my life that'd be true. I've had education. I've lived through a thousand experiences like each of you. And we stand here today, you know, and we could say, I am what I am in part by my genetics. I am by what I am by the home I grew up in. I am by I am by my education. I am what I am by, by the way that life's treated me. But I, I want to say to you, bigger and more and beyond all those things, I stand here today telling you I am what I am by the grace of God. changed my life, my trajectory, changed my home, my kids. To your chagrin, I get a pastor of this church. I mean, it changed. It is the biggest variable in the equation of my life. I can't imagine omitting that variable. And if it was omitted, only God knows And if I had all things in the world, what good is to gain the whole world and to lose one's soul? It is a present power. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a, a lively, it means living hope. Life can be different. It has been different for me. I know for so many of you it has changed your life. And if you don't know Christ today, it can change your life. Paul argued in the book of Philippians that his greatest desire, his greatest human desire was that the power of the resurrected Christ would impact the way he lived his. Today, if we truly believe in Christ's past resurrection and his future return, if we believe in, our, in this reality of heaven and hell, then the resurrection will change us today. 
It'll free us from worry and doubt and anxiety. It'll give us a reason to live. It gives us incentive to overcome the sinful habits that so easily beset us, that make our life more miserable than this world already is. It gives us an impetus to share our faith, to share the gospel, to invite people to church where they can hear the same truth that's changed our lives. It's what gives us hope and reason to carry on. It gives me the hope that I can look at the man in the mirror and be more and better tomorrow than I was today, not by my own power, but the grace of God that lives in me. I identify with Paul's prayer when he asked for the, the Colossian church that that they and we might walk worthy of the Lord and the all-pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. The Romans, he declared that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk, and Lord help us, in a newness of life. Today as we remember Jesus and all that He did, and we think of the power that resides in us, we should endeavor to be like Him. If I could just take a moment before we're dismissed and just, you guys just look up here. You know, church brings with it a formality, and that's okay. You know, suit and tie, new tie. Terry bought it, not me. You were sitting, we're behaving. Yeah, I, it, it, there's some formality to it. And I don't know all God intends there or not, but um, what we do here is like really important. And it, it's got to move past the formality of, of the moment and the way we might feel trapped in it sometimes. See, I stand here every single Sunday and to declare something from God's Word, and the whole point of biblical preaching is not just to inform you, but to transform you. See, Bible preaching is the declaration of a truth that asks for a response. We don't need more education, not against it, but we need more change. Well, what, what's, what is the question today? What are you going to do with the risen Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with Him? He is alive. He is who He said He was, and He will do all that He said He is going to do. And that is to judge all humanity one day. By the grace of God, because my sins are forgiven, I'll never know the great white throne judgment. I'll just know the rewards called the beamy seat when I meet Jesus Christ in the, in the clouds of the air or when I die and go to be with Him. No condemnation, no guilt for me. That will not be true for everyone. And, and whatever judgment you face, is going to completely depend on the hinge of what you believe, what you choose to believe. See, there's enough. Re I, I look at this world. I don't need more persuasion. What the Bible says jives with reality for me. I look in the mirror, and what it says about me is true. 
this world, oh, it's designed. I've tried to become a better person alone, not much luck there. So I chose Christ. I choose Christ. Until I die, I'm going to choose Him. What are you going to do with Him? Today, we come here and uh, I offer to you what someone once offered me, and that was a chance to know Christ, to be forgiven. And if you don't know Him today, you can. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. It's not complicated. Thank God it's not algebra. It's, we are saved by grace. What's grace? It's just a gift. It's God's goodness. It's the work of the cross. It's, it's the offer of righteousness for our unrighteousness. For by grace are you saved through what? Belief, faith. It's, it's, it, it takes a measure of trust. I actually, every time, every time I go to a stoplight, I exercise faith. I hope the rest of them are going to stop. And I believe that they will based on a red light. I sit on a chair and I believe it can hold me up. I've not thoroughly scientifically tested it. I just know that it can. And I believe that Jesus Christ can save your soul. Because He saved mine. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning if you would.